Hosea was a prophet Hello. who was told by God to marry a harlot named Gomer. Hello. At first, their marriage was lovely and productive. But soon, Hosea became distracted by work, and Gomer became distracted by other things. And before long, Gomer bore another son, which looked suspiciously like the mailman. Wait a minute. Find out what Hosea did next this week in Once Upon a Marriage. Man, you gotta watch out for that mailman. Well, good morning, church. Church Online, we're so blessed that you can uh, join us today. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea in the Old Testament. And as you're, you're turning there, are you guys ready for a challenging message? If so, say yes. yes. Okay, say sock it to me. Say sock it to me again. Okay, you guys asked for it, remember. You asked for it. Just a couple real light questions to open today's message. Uh, you know, how many of you plan on one day committing adultery? Adultery? Any? <laughs> you know, cheating on your spouse? Someone on the side? Anyone? No? How many of you plan on getting married, popping out a few kids, and then plan on di divorce? Divorce? Divorce. Five year, 10 year plan? 20-year plan, change it up, divorce, no? no? Interesting. Interesting. I ask you, do you plan on doing these things, and, and nobody does, and yet half of us will do both, according to most statistics. Somewhere more than half, according to some studies, will commit adultery. Somewhere around half, according to almost every study, will end up divorced. We don't plan on doing that, and yet a lot of us do. Why is that? All sorts of answers are possible. One of them, I believe, is that society does a horrible job of preparing people for marriage. In fact, I would argue that society is more successful at preparing people for divorce. What dating has become is really good preparation for divorce. Think, think about it. It used to be there were things that were only reserved for, for marriage. Now the difference between dating and marriage is often just a little ceremony that doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people. Because while we're, what we're supposed to be doing while we're, while we're dating, oftentimes we're already engaging in what was once held sacred until after the marriage ceremony. Little things like you'd say, you know, I love you and, and I give you my heart and, and bigger things. And sharing our bodies and, and staying the night in the same bed and, and uh, living in the same house. And, and we move our hearts and we move our clothes and we move our toothbrushes right on in. And so in today's society, instead of actual the, the courtship happening, oftentimes we jump right into playing house. We do pretend marriage. We do married things. And when it doesn't work out, we take our toothbrushes, we take our broken hearts, and we pack them up and basically leave. We, we practice divorce. And after we've done that with two or three people or five people or 12 people or 20 people, it's no wonder when the only thing that's really that different is, is that little ceremony that doesn't really mean all that much 
to that many people when things get tough, why is it any wonder that many people grab their toothbrush, grab their hearts, and move on? Society has trained us well for divorce. Many of you who will be married one day or, or who are married now, you're going to face some bumps in the road. And today's logic is when things get tough, you take your, your toothbrush and, and you go somewhere else. What I want to do today is I want to take a look at a story that is both incredibly uh, painful and, and yet uh, all beautiful at the, at the very same time. First, we'll see it in a marriage. The couple's names are Hosea and Gomer. Everyone say Hosea. Hosea. Everyone say Gomer. Gomer. Okay, Hosea is the man. Gomer, yes, is the woman. Gomer, that's just a horrible name. <laughs> it's almost as bad as Hagar. I think Hagar's worse. Gomer's pretty bad. Gomer. Anyways... Uh, in this example of unfailing love, we're going to see that when we have every good reason to, to pack it up, to call it quits, uh, to get a divorce with God, if we are willing, he will often lead us through the door of hope. The door of hope. Before we jump into today's scripture, let me give you a little context to our story. Our story is going to be taking place around 760 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, Israel's divided. Um, it's been created into two nations. You have Israel, which is now the, the northern kingdom. And this is where our story is going to take place. And then you have Judah in the south. We're about 250 years after the time of King David. After the time of King David's rule. So Jeroboam II is now the king of northern Israel, the, the northern kingdom. And during this time, Israel's enjoying an unprecedented uh, prosperity, um, both economically and politically. Sadly, though, whenever there is economic increase uh, in Scripture, it's uh, what we're seeing here. There's almost always a moral and spiritual decrease. That's what's happening. Sin is just running rampant right now. The list reads like, well, current day America. The scripture says there was swearing, lying, killing, stealing, adultery, drunkenness, perversion, perjury, deceit, oppression, just to name a few. But the thing that grieved the heart of God more than anything else was the sin of adultery. Idol worship. So, so God raises up his prophet, Hosea, to speak into this spiritually adulterous land as God's peoples were kidding them, uh, committing the most vile sins against him. Hosea chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 speaks through this very unusual story. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, now God's going to ask him to do something that just seems crazy in my mind. God says, go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. The Hebrew word translated adulterous wife, that can be translated as, as harlot, as prostitute. God tells the prophet to go marry a very immoral woman. Why would God do that? 
He says, because the land or, or the people of the land are guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Deblaine, and she conceived and bore him a son. We can just pause there for a minute, uh, just a moment. I want you to notice how it says there, she conceived and bore him a son. We're going to see a little later in the text, Gomer gets uh, pregnant on, on several more occasions. And it's important to note that in the rest of her pregnancies, this is the only time we'll see she bore him, him being Hosea, a son. Now there's some debate on this, people go back and forth on it, but, but most scholars believe, and, and I believe we'll see uh, in the suggestion through the text, that Gomer goes outside the marriage covenant and uh, commits adultery in her other pregnancies. Now you might be thinking, why in the world would God tell the, this budding young prophet uh, to go and marry a prostitute anyways? First off, this, this is an incredibly challenging uh, story. As we dissect it, we're going to see it's a story with um, layers upon layers of meaning. We're going to see, uh, watch as one layer is a very literal uh, story between Hosea and immoral Gomer. That's one layer. Then we're going to see another layer, which is a picture of God and his covenant relationship with Israel. And just like Hosea is loving this immoral woman, God still loves the immoral people of Israel, though they've been unfaithful to him. Just like another layer is God who is loving us as we continue to reject and sin against him. So throughout this whole story, there's layers upon layers of meaning all throughout the text here, buried in this very disturbing and yet very beautiful picture of unfailing love and marriage. Let me just kind of start off by talking to the marriage uh, part of the story uh, first. I'll give you sort of a modernized example of what the marriage story would look like in, in today's time. It would go something like this. You've got a girl. She's, she's got a bad past. Uh, but one day everything changes for her. She, she meets this young, budding uh, preacher guy, and, and God tells the preacher, I want you to go and marry that girl. I want you to go marry that girl right there. And the preacher's probably thinking, well, <laughs> it's not the girl I'd normally go look for. It's kind of looking for one of the girls at church. Do you know where she's from and what she's done? God's like, I do. And he's like, well, if God's telling me to do this, okay, let's do this. I've trusted him the whole way. Uh, I'm, I'm going to follow what, what he says. And, and she's probably thinking, wow, you know, he's nice. He's not just looking for one thing. You know, he's got a good job. I, I love his family. You know, finally, a, a decent man likes me. So they go, they get married, and, and, and they got all these hopes and dreams. They take off for their honeymoon. They're all happy there. And, and as they're getting all happy there, they come back, and she's pregnant. And they're all excited. What are we going to have? What are we going to have? They go, and they go to the ultrasound. They go find out it's a boy or a girl. It's a boy or a girl. It's a boy. It's a boy. So our front store, a great big baby shower. You know, he paints the room blue, and everyone's all happy. And, and mom looks down at the baby and says, oh, look, honey. You know, he's got your toes. And he's like, yeah, but honey, look, he's, he's got your eyes. And they're like, oh, yeah, and they're all happy and healthy. And everything's just perfect. Perfect. Then... Life happens. Life happens. Much the way it may have happened to you. 
you know, his ministry picks up. He's not as home as much as he used to be. You know, she's resentful because he's always at the church and not really helping out with the baby. And he doesn't like to change the poopy diapers, which makes her all, you know, upset. And, and on top of it, he's not even taking out the garbage. You know, every man is supposed to take out the garbage when it's full. How can he not know that? But his dad didn't do that, so he didn't know to do that. He didn't really know that was his job. He starts wondering what happened to my, my beautiful and happy bride. You know, since the baby's born, she's in her PJs all day. She never gets changed, you know. She thinks all he does is complain, complains about this and that. And so after one month, she's depressed. You know, she's got all the crazy hormones running through her head, just had the baby. You know, she's not friendly. She feels trapped in her house, you know. He feels neglected. She's not paying much attention to his needs. And because she's not and he's not, well, they're not doing well. Then one day, something else happens. An old boyfriend talks to her on Facebook. <laughs> she goes down to the gym, and the cute trainer pays attention to her. She takes a part-time job because finances are tight. There's the guy that actually listens to her. The red-headed mailman shows up one day too many. Something happens, and this woman believes the most common marriage misconception that there is, and she buys in and believes that what I'm missing is better than what I have. What I'm missing is better than what I have. I've got a pretty good guy here, you know, but he's not bringing me everything that I want. And those things that I do not have are more important than the many things that he's bringing. And so we jump back into the story in verse 5. And so Hosea chapter 2 verse 5 is, she says, I will go after my lovers because they will give me some things he doesn't, right? They will give me my food and my water and my wool and my linen and my oil and my drink. Although this guy, he offers me so much, there are a few things he doesn't offer me that someone else can. So she does what people have done for centuries. They, they trade in the 80 for the 20. They trade in the 80 for the 20, one of the most foolish and most common trades that there is. They trade the 80 for the 20. What do I mean by they trade the 80 for the 20? Well, in a decent marriage, a person is going to provide and meet uh, most people's expectations by, you know, about 80%. No one is going to meet all of our needs and expectations by 100%. It's impossible. You want to set someone up for failure? Pretend like that they can meet all of your needs and expectations. No one can on earth here. This guy's delivering at about 80%. And yet, there's this 20% that he's incapable of delivering. And so since... She doesn't have the 20%. She takes the 80% and trades that in for the 20 and ends up with far less than she had in the first place. I don't know what the 20% these other men offered. Maybe, you know, because he got busy and, and he got distracted and he stops telling her just how beautiful that she is. So what happens? Some other guy, he listens to her and he compliments her. Or maybe he bought her little gifts and he just tells her how special that she is. Maybe, you know, he has a better income than this minister guy, you know. And he promises her more things. 
in the, man, in the man's world, I don't want to leave you guys out. It could be something like, you know, this other woman at work, she thinks I'm pretty cool. I mean, she doesn't tear me down all the time. She laughs at all my corny jokes. You know, we talk sports together, and she gets it. Man, that girl gets it. You know, we could talk, she understands. We just, we just have all these little things in common with each other. Let's be honest, she's just more exciting than my wife. They trade the 80 for, for the 20 and end up with far less than they had in the first place. They believe the lie, what I'm missing is better than what I have. Uh, about two years ago, I guess it was, I was talking with a total 100% uh, full-blown idiot. Uh, he's a friend of mine, so uh, I can call him an idiot. He's an idiot. I'm telling you right now, if you're watching, you're still an idiot. <laughs> this idiot, after 20 years, admitted to trade in his wife for a woman that was half his wife's age that he fell in love with at work. His reasoning was, we have more in common. We have more in common. Their more in common was they like to watch uh, comedy movies, they played golf together, and they like to have forbidden sex which is impossible to have with your wife because it's no longer forbidden, right? So everything was exciting and new and all that stuff. And honestly, I just got in his face. I said, man, please, please listen to me. You are going to destroy everything that you guys have worked for for all these years. And, and he's like, no, really, Nick, you know, <laughs> you have no idea how boring she's become. We've got, like, nothing in common anymore. And I go, listen to me. You know, how can you have more in common than 20 years of history and three children who have been nothing but faithful to you? You're trading in that 80 for the 20. And sure enough, he ended with 20%. And he thought for years that the grass was going to be greener somewhere else he was convinced of it listen whenever the grass looks greener somewhere else it's time to water your own backyard <laughs> get the hose out and start watering if it looks better somewhere else it's only because you know you can't smell the poop that's in the other people's yard you're not you're not close enough yet right you get close enough you're going to find poop there as well what you're missing is not better than what you have if you'll invest in what you have. What is more common than, than the years of faithfulness and the children that you have with one another. And yet it is so common because life starts happening, we start to believe the lie that what I'm missing is better than what I have. This is what Gomer did. Scripture says she gets pregnant, she has a daughter. God tells uh, Hosea to name his daughter Lo Ruhama, which means no mercy, not loved, and unpitied. These names are really revealing to the hurt that God has. Again, remember, most of this story is speaking into multiple layers. There's a literal uh, marriage relationship going on. There's God and literal Israel going on. And so when she gets pregnant again with a son... Um, God calls, says to call him Lo Amani, which means you are not my people and I am not your God. 
you can, you can really start to hear the hurt that God has as, as he's watched his people reject him over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. If you've ever been cheated on or used, you know what this pain looks like. God felt cheated on. He chose Israel. He was in a committed covenant relationship with them. You know, he delivered them. He, he protected them. It provided for them. He loved all them his own, his own chosen people. And here he is. He has to sit there and watch as his own chosen people, year after year after year, commit spiritual adultery on him as they worshiped and called on and seeked on other gods. If you read through the book, it's actually incredibly uh, painful to see the hurt that God goes through. And, and we'll see how God basically, he throws a fit. He, he's had enough. He's had enough. Read it. He, he gets angry. Uh, he gets hurt. He gets jealous. And he has every right to be because he is God. And he wants all of our hearts. And so we can just divert a little bit from the marriage story. We're going to go over to God and Israel's story here. You can see a little bit of his heart as he shows us his Two responses to spiritual adultery. We're going to see this in scripture because quite honestly there are some listening today who, who, who are sinning grievously against God. And this is how our sin makes God feel. Okay? This is how it makes us feel. His first response, if you're taking notes, is he has a, there is such a thing as unrighteous and then there is this thing as righteous anger. And, and this is God speaking uh, of the people of Israel. Okay, and he says this in Hosea chapter 2, 8 through 10. He says, she has acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain. Sorry, since she has not acknowledged that I was the one that gave her the grain. You provided for her, the new wine and the oil who lavished on her, the, the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal. Israel was literally in the prosperity they were receiving from the true God, Yahweh. He goes on to say in verse 9, Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready. And I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. Huh. Can you hear the hurt in this? And a little jealousy. Because in the Old Testament, God says, you know, I'm a jealous God. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. This first commandment. No idols, you worship me and me alone. And because God's in this covenant relationship, he has every right to ask for that. He's that good. And, and how foolish are we in Israel at the time for rejecting him? You see it, it hurts him and it makes him angry. In this text, you can almost hear him saying, you know what, you want to do life without me? Let's see how you do on your own. You know, you want to go do life, life without me? Go for it. Do it. Do it. You know, we'll see how you like it. You know, I'll take back from you the wool and my linen. You're going to be naked and ashamed. I've been providing for you this whole time. It's just like how you were in the, the garden before I clothed you. You can almost sense it. God 
He might do that with marriages today. God might say, you know what? You want, you want to do marriage without me? Do it. Try it. Try it. See how it works out for you. Go put the idols at the front of your life and not me. You know, go and do marriage without my word and without my presence. You know, you want to see how it goes? Try it. Try it. That's the way many people are living today, isn't it? Then I kind of like this. There's that sense of possessiveness with this here. You know, no one will take her out of my hands. No one will take her out of my hands. There ain't no one that's going to steal her from me. Built up anger. Don't go beating yourself up like, you know, oh, I shouldn't be feeling like this and stuff. You know, there's a time where righteous anger is appropriate. You know, you know what? We we swore before God, uh, you know, and and you broke that, and I'm not happy about this. Nope. Nope. That's not an unrighteous stance, and... And there can even be some possessiveness in this, which is, you know, you know what, Satan? You're not stealing my marriage. No, you're not stealing my marriage, Satan. Get out of here. Get lost. Go away like most people. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, when I said my vows before God, I meant it. I'm going to fight for this thing. You know, I don't care what the Hendersons are doing, what Sally thinks. I don't care where they are, what they're doing. I don't care if they're out. I'm in, baby. You know, I'm still in this. And, and no one is going to take this from me. And sadly, in our society today, we have been trained, you know, oh, it's difficult. Let's do what we've done 18 times before this, you know, which is we're going to take our toothbrush and we're going to leave and go somewhere else. God might say, just because you do have grounds for divorce, it doesn't mean you give up that easily. easily. I'm going to fight for this thing. So God responds with this righteous anger, but but here's the deal. We're not going to go very far if if we always just stay angry. And if you read the story, there's this beautiful and and very sudden shift in God's response. I mean, it's sudden. He's angry. And, And then as fast as he's angry, he shows a second response in his unfailing love that he has for us. A righteous anger and an unfailing love. Here's the shift. It happens in verses uh, 14 and 15. He says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. Listen to this language. It's beautiful. I'm going to allure her, and I will lead her into the what? Into the desert, the most dry place where there's, there's nothing else for her but to depend on me. I will lead her out into the, des- into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Verse 15, I will... Give her back her vineyards. I will make, say it with me, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Let's do it again. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. In your Bibles, you might want to circle that word Achor right beside it, you know, trouble. That's what it literally means, trouble. I'll make the valley of trouble into a door of hope. I'll make the valley of trouble into a door of hope of hope. Did you know there are basically two ways that you can have a great marriage? You know, way one, uh, just do everything right. Everything, everything, everything. It works, I promise. Just don't sin, don't mess up. Everything's perfect. You and your spouse, beautiful. Things should run pretty smoothly. Way number two is to, is to walk through the valley of Acor together until you find the door 
of hope. What's that mean? Well, you know, for starters, we don't do everything right. <laughs> We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. You know, we're going to let each other down. You repent. You return to God. You know, you cry together. You hold each other. You know, you apologize. You cry some more. You know, you let God break off the, the rough edges around you. You let him mold you like clay. You renew your mind to Christ. You cry some more. You know, you walk through the valley of trouble. And, and on the other side, when you walk through it together, there is always a door of hope. Some of the best marriages I know have walked through the, the valley of betrayal. They've walked through the valley of pornography. Uh, they've walked through the valley of, of rejection. They've walked through the, the valley of, of just some incredible hurt and, and pain. And when they walk through it together with, with God leading the way, they always come to the door of hope. Here's the deal. You know, some of you, you're married but you've, you've given up on it. You've given up. If you will continue to pursue God, especially if the two of you, the two of you, if you'll both pursue God, I promise you, you'll always walk through the valley of Acor to the door of hope. The challenge is that sometimes you're, you're with someone that's not going to walk with you. you know, so, so what you do is you just, you just decide. You, you just decide that you're going to walk through on your own with your handout waiting. You walk with the Lord and you keep your handout ready to accept your spouse whenever your spouse is ready to join you. But you're not letting go of God. You are not letting go of God. Some of you right now, you're, you're in the Valley of Acorn right now. And there's days you feel like, you know, you're, you're running out of hope. And I'm telling you, there's always hope with God. There's always hope in him. There is. You know, I told you uh, this was going to be tough. And it, it doesn't get any easier from here. It's, it's a tough message. It's a tough message. God's going to say, you know, the most amazing thing to this man who's been nothing but faithful to this woman. If you fast forward the story, what she's done is she's now left him again. He's shown his love over and over and over again to her. And she's basically out, Scripture says, uh, prostituting herself again. She's adulterous. And uh, I can't even begin to imagine how horrible this would be. And the, the text implies that, that, that she's got a pimp or some kind of a, a manager. Uh, and, but God gives this very clear and, and very challenging message to the betrayed spouse. Here's what God says, and I'll summarize, then we'll, then we'll look uh, at the verse. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive and love as you've been forgiven and loved. Let's be honest. If this is us, what would we say? In my mind, I'd say, you know what? Forget her. Seriously, she's done that. She's had these chances over and over again. You've tried. Blow her off. Let her go. But God's got something to say about it. And th this is what he tells Hosea. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife, 
Say it with me again. It says, go, show your love to your wife again. Again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Can we just pause for a moment and, and just ask the question, how in the world? How? How? You know, I'm in, I'm in his shoes. How is this possible? How? You know, I can't find it in my emotions. This is how. This is how. God says, here's how. Love her as the Lord loves. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Love her. Love her as God is loving us right now, even though we don't always deserve it. Love her as God is loving us as we continue to worship idols of this world. Love her as God continues to freely love us as we openly and consistently reject his goodness. How do you love and forgive the same way that he has loved and forgiven us? Now, this is getting right into where we all live, right? And there's no guarantees what she's going to do, all right? There's no guarantees this marriage is, isn't going to end up in a divorce. There's no guarantees that your marriage isn't going to end up in, the, in a divorce, even if you do everything right. There's still no guarantees. But even though we can't control the outcome, God is very, very clear on what we should do. That is, we should love and forgive as we've been loved and forgiven. Now, what this also doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you've forgiven, you don't become this big honking like doormat. doesn't mean that you're trying to reconcile, you don't bring some new rules to, to the game. doesn't mean you don't make some changes. doesn't mean that you don't, uh, that, you, that you let allow someone to walk all over you. But what it does mean is that no matter what your spouse does, you're going to choose what to do is right, even though there are no guarantees. It's a pretty hard part of the story. There's nothing easy about that, because I can promise you, you know, when it gets tough, most friends around you are going to say, dump him, you know, forget her. You know, just get a divorce. Get a divorce. End it. That's what we've been trained to do anyways, right? It might just be that God would say, it's not time to give up yet. Our marriages are really, really, really important. And please, don't hear me wrong. My goal is not to bring condemnation on those who have been divorced. I have been divorced. And there are times when uh, you're going to do everything right and you're still going to end up divorced. Because someone else just won't. But it doesn't mean you don't go down without trying to do the things which honor God and his promises he's made to us. Keep it Christ-centered. These topics bring up a lot of emotion. My uh, idiot friend who sometimes watches our sermons online, he's, uh, he's not yet committed his life to Christ. And he's telling me during our last uh, marriage sermon back a couple months ago, he says, you know, thanks for pre preaching on marriage. You know, if I have any hope of trying to get her back, he's alone. He's alone now. He's got nobody. Um, if I have any hope of trying to get her back, there, there's a lot of, I've got to try to learn. I've got to try to figure out. And I, that really spoke to me. 
And he said, but honestly, I just don't feel like that you, you guys, you guys, that's what he says, you guys understand. You guys at church, you know, you guys don't have problems like I had in, in, in my marriage. And I'm like, really? And I said, just look at my parents' marriage, okay? They've been incredibly blessed to have a Christ-centered marriage for 46 years today. I said, please, don't insult their, their faith and the hard work that they, they've needed to put into their marriage. You know, I said, listen, you know, I, I don't want to offend you here, but you know, I got to speak some truth into this. You don't really think that you know, it's been, uh, that hasn't been difficult, having just your normal everyday life all of a sudden just pulled out from underneath you, facing a horrible disease, everything that they've gone through through all the years, that they haven't hit the, the bumps in the road of their own marriage? Of course they have. Of, of course it's been difficult. Every day there's a new challenge, but here's what they've done. They have walked over and over and over again through the valley of Achor, and there has always been a door of hope open for them in the person of Jesus Christ. And I said, brother, that's what you need. He's thinking about it. We'll see. Let me tell you the end of the story. God tells Hosea, go, love her, and forgive her, and, and go show his, his love to her again. And this is what he does. He goes, and he takes his own money. You know, Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. He purchases his wife back. He has to buy back his wife for himself. Fifteen shekels of silver and some other stuff. He pays for his wife, which is precisely what God did for us. That while we were prostituting ourselves against God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He shed his blood to, to purchase us back. So we could truly know his love. You know, I don't know how their marriage ended. There's no record of, of what she did and what happened. My thoughts is once he did that, how in the world could she ever walk away from him again? Because he loved her enough to purchase her out of sin. And the reason I feel this way is because when I look at what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ, I just ask the same question. How could we not offer him our whole life back to him? when you see that what he did for us, then you can see why he wants all of our hearts. All of our hearts. And you can see why his hearts break when we continue to commit spiritual adultery against him. Because he said, I gave it all for you. I want all of you. All of you. I want your heart. I want your, your worship. I want your faithfulness, you know. I want you to lay down your life and know me and serve me forever. When you know what he did for you, what other kind of response could we have? I want to offer the uh, invitation this morning. Some of you, you're, you're in the valley right now. And uh, this, this might be a very uh, purposeful valley. 
And this is what's crazy about God. He loves you so much. He'll, he'll take you out into the desert to get your attention. He will. He'll lead you out to the desert where he can speak tenderly to you. Some of you right now, you're in the desert. You're in the valley of Acor. You know, you're in the valley of depression. You're in the valley. Put it at the end. Whatever your trouble is, you're in the valley. You don't know where else to turn. Guess what? You know, God's alluring you. He should be the only voice that you can hear right now. That door of hope up ahead, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And he says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Listen to his calling. You need Christ. You need Christ. We all need Christ. You need him at the center of your marriage. You need him Lord over your life. Please come forward today as we stand and sing, Love Has a Name.